All right, folks, welcome on back to another episode of the Boom Burst Cast. And we're, uh, we're, we're giving you a little early Christmas treat up in here. You know what I mean? For all y'all out there that need a little positivity, some hopefulness in your life. We're talking about one of the most hopeful, positive Christmas movies of all time, but not just that film, okay? Not just It's a Wonderful Life, because it is. Don't get us wrong. It is a wonderful life. It's all a real a real grand life, you know what I mean? And all these other beautiful lives around us, you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, we're definitely privileged and honored today to have uh, a true Hollywood icon, you know what I mean? Uh, someone who played a character that, I think everybody has been influenced by um, in, 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 around the holiday season. Uh, Zuzu, you know, know what I mean? The great Carolyn Grimes, okay, a.k.a. Zuzu from It's a Wonderful Life, you know what I mean? Um, and a whole bunch of other things. We welcome her to the show today to talk about her career. And uh, this is a lot of fun. You know, we're, we're, we're doing a little deep dive uh, into into an era of film that we don't usually get a chance to talk about. So we're very blessed to be able to have her on the show and talk to her about this today. Um, we're going to hear about some really cool folks, some Jimmy Stewart, some John Wayne, some John Ford, some Frank Capra. You know what I mean? Some really cool stuff. You might even see a little emotional. You might even see a little emotion in this episode because we talk about some beautiful things. You know what I mean? And uh, hell yeah. I can't wait to do it, and uh, we're going to pop in in a moment. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show for the first time, the great Carolyn Grimes. <laughs> Carolyn, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. There's nobody else we would want more on this show, you know what I mean? <laughs> we have film royalty in our presence today. I don't know about that, but... She's an icon. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, every, you know, there, there's very few. That movie in itself, uh, it's a wonderful life for anybody out there that doesn't know what we're jumping into real quick. The um, just iconic film, you know, I, I, as a kid, all the way growing up, it's one of those deals, you know, and it's the Christmas movies. The Christmas movies are always, you know, they have that big mass appeal to them. You know, it's very, you know. Sure. You know, well, your, your mindset around that time of the year, you're ready yeah. for that sort of thing. You know, you, you want that kind of entertainment. It's like flowers on Valentine's Day. That's right. You know what I mean? Very nice. But I think It's a Wonderful Life goes a little deeper than that. Yeah. No, it does. It definitely does. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll, 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 we'll catch up with It's a Wonderful Life again a little later in the show, but... We uh, we always like to start, you know, where it all started. So, like, I know that you, you got into it really young, like five or six, I think, right? Four. Four, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how'd you kind of get introduced to the, the entertainment world? Well, I lived in Hollywood, and we're talking about the 40s, you know, way back. And really, that was the entire industry in Hollywood. Everybody worked for the movie industry. So everybody was involved in some way or another. And I was an only child and my mom was a stage mom. And so she gave me every lesson possible, piano, violin, singing, dancing, uh, all kinds of lessons, um, even accents and so forth. And so um, she took me to see an agent and her name was Lola Moore. And she had 
quite a stable. It was all children and it was all in, in Hollywood. And she was probably the main agent out there. So they'd come to her and they'd say, we want a blonde girl for this blah, blah, with freckles on her face or something, you know. And so she'd go through her stable and find somebody. Then she'd send them on an interview and they'd go. It wasn't like auditions in those days. It was an interview. You walked into an office and you were one-on-one with the casting director. Mm. And that's how you got a part was like that. So when I went to audition or to interview for It's a Wonderful Life, I walked into that room and Frank Capra was in there. He handpicked everybody in that whole film, even the extras he handpicked. So he was in there to interview and that's how I got that part. But that's kind of how it worked. And everybody, you know, all the kids were kind of in the industry one way or the other. So it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. You know, what would you remember having a first impression of Fan Capra? I mean, he's an iconic filmmaker, you know? No, I don't really remember too much about him. He, um, he, he liked to get down on his knees and look at you eye level as a child to get what he wanted to get out of you. Yeah. And he, he did that, but he was just a nice guy. And he, I remember he asked me what it would, what I'd act like if my dog had just died and I lost my dog and how would I look and how would I talk? How would I perform like that? You know, of course, I went into the spin, and <laughs> so I got the part. That yeah, you know, the sign of a great director is that communication thing. You know what I mean? You can, you oh, can yeah. really communicate with any age. You know what I mean? And be able to get your get the vibe out to them of what you want to do. You know what I mean? Very well. That was another reason he 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 shot a a tremendous amount of film footage because we did it over and over and over again, each scene. Mm-hmm. And then of course he edited it and um, he got what he wanted that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the more hands-on you are as a director or filmmaker, I think that the more, vi- more your vision it is, you know, the editing is so heavy. It's so important that you could, uh, you know, the, vi- the, li- the vision could be lost in the editing room if the director is not really in there, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, um, you know, when people bring up child actors and stuff, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's known to be kind of a crazy life. You know what I mean? Um, I think you turned out pretty well. You know, <laughs> I heard. That's because I got out of Hollywood. <laughs> that's probably what it is. I remember I heard uh, an interview with, um, with Corey Feldman recently where he was talking about Corey Haim, uh, some, you know, eighties actors and, he said he thinks the reason why Corey Haim kind of got caught up in, in like the, the pitfalls of it all is because he wasn't, he didn't have family that was in the business. He said that that's extremely important to have family in the business so they can kind of tell you, well, you're having a really rough time now, but it'll be better tomorrow or whatever. And there's really nobody there, which I thought was pretty interesting take on it because it makes sense because if you're in the business, you know that, okay, you might have a slump now, but don't don't bury yourself in drugs and stuff because it ain't the end of the world. You know what I mean? And he sure. says that, that he said, that's a big part of it, which I always thought was real interesting. Um, did you, did you see anything like that in your time? Like how, 
people that were m- more connected beforehand into it kind of were a little bit more guided better than people that kind of just, or was it even something you couldn't really just come into unless you knew, knew somebody back in the. I, I never saw anything like yeah. that. I don't think it really mattered. Cause you know, I was before Corey. Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. times were different. Of course. Yeah. And uh, it was during the war when, yeah. When all of this, when I started working, it was the war was going on. So the mindset of the people was different. And that really didn't apply as far as relatives in the business. Um, Maybe later on down the the years that might have made a difference. But during the war, you know, I mean, that was probably seven years of some before and after stuff that... um, really didn't apply to normal times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And entertainment's blown up so much recently. I think every, there's way more people attempting now. You know what I mean? Than, oh, yeah, I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. huge. That's a big part of it. You know what I mean? Alexander, yeah. we, uh, we're going to start off from the first, uh, the first film. I know you had a question. Yeah, uh, the first film um, I saw was uh, The Night With You, uh, 1945. I noticed that uh, Buster Keaton was part of the uh, cast. Did you have a chance to meet him or talk to him? Or? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I uh, I can remember my mom talking to my dad. I heard him talking about it. They said that he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm a little girl. I hear that, and I, you know, I'm like, oh boy, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was nice. He was very nice. He played a soda fountain jerk guy in there, and um, it was it was a fun movie to do. And I loved um, being in Susanna York's arms when she was singing a lullaby to me. It was just, I'll never forget it. And most of the time, the stars have bad breath. Uh-huh. He didn't. <laughs> Very, yeah, she was very nice. Yes, very. all of them smoked, you know. Of course, yeah, it was very common. Drinking, the drink. I mean, the drinking back in the day wasn't that big of a deal either. It was, it was more like, oh well, it just is what it is. Where nowadays, if somebody is drunk on set, might be more of an issue. I feel. Yeah, that's true. But it was more common, common, uh, common deal. Which I get down with, you know what I mean. (laughs) You got to be safe. You got to be safe. There's no 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 room for that on the sets, you know what I mean? Yeah, no no carousing on the sets. Not on, on Matt's sets. He has a strict no drinking policy. <laughs> That's why I'm cold, cold sober right now. Otherwise, yeah. I'd be drunk right now. <laughs> I saw a lot of them have flasks they'd pull out down again over the years. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. You'll hear, you know, as far back as maybe like um, even like the mid-90s, <clears throat> is when I really, I guess, was st- starting to become not so glamorized or accepted, if you will, because even the 80s, you know, Robert Shaw, like ro- <clears throat> on the set of Jaws and stuff, you know, he'd be, they'd, they'd find mm-hmm. him all done up and stuff. Yeah. yeah. We had, uh, uh, who'd we have on the show, Alexander, telling the, oh no, it wasn't the show. It was an, we, had a, we did an, another one of the shows we had on um, Anthony Perkins from Psycho. Uh, I was directing one of the psycho movies and, and the makeup artist went in there to go get him. And he was standing in a room and he was on acid and he was just like out of his mind, fried out. And he was like, oh, 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 oh. oh it was like, God. wow. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, that's an intense drug to be doing uh, in general, let alone when you're supposed to be working. You know wow. I mean? 
<laughs> but the, the skies were not only blue skies, but there were, you know, purple and pink skies that day for him. <laughs> but blue skies, let's pop into some, some blue skies. Yeah, Bing Crosby was my father in that. I've had a lot of famous fathers. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I really enjoyed working with him. He was he was really sweet, and I never saw any bad side of him at all. He never lost his temper. He'd play around with me, and Jerry Colonna was a good friend of his, and he'd come over on the stage, and they'd visit with, with him. And, and Bing Crosby would include me in that. They'd tell jokes and stories, and I, he was just really wonderful to work with. I really enjoyed working with him. It's, you know, not only do you get these, these great memories, but it's all, it's all, it's all in history of film too. So you can always pop in a DVD or a Blu-ray or whatever streaming now, I guess, and watch yeah. the memory, you know, like you were seeing with the Well, they did a special on him and they included all the women that he kissed. Yeah. And I got included in that because yeah. he kissed me. Like, uh, <laughs> I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. That is cool. That uh that's you know, that's a special group right there, for yes. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Alexandria. Alexander and again Fred Astaire was in there as well. Classic. Yeah. You know that was his um the the very classic uh song doing the Ritz. Yeah. You know, that was from that movie. That's for the Insta. scene. That's for the scene. Um, really? That and that was really a very famous song and segment that went on forever. It still does. Oh yeah, on the Ritz, you know. Classic. Tap dancing, he was, and with a cane and all this sort of thing. There's a there's a group from the '80s called Taco, I believe, that did a, a version of "Put It on the Ritz." That's the greatest. Really? Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's like it's so wild and zany. It's like. The muse, there's like weird instruments in it. It's very, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's like a weird party. It's like a weird party. They, they upped it into like a more of a clubby. Uh, huh. it's, it's fun. I'll send you a link to it, actually. You know. All right. So we'll, we'll jump a little, we'll jump to a little bit. It's a wonderful life, you know, because I think that it's a wonderful life to change things a little bit, I'd say. Eh? You know what I mean? Became a different. Different world, just uh, that was just another movie, another yeah. job. No, there wasn't anything special about it. It was just I enjoyed working with the other kids on the set. That was a lot of fun, and it, it wasn't anything special. That was the thing that really surprised everyone because it was just another movie. And if it if they had not re, if they had renewed the copyright and it wouldn't have gone into public domain. I don't know that anybody would have ever seen that film. So it was just, you know, and it was a bomb when it came out. I remember hearing that, yeah. You know, it it was kind of a dark movie. It was about a man who was going to commit suicide. And this was just right after the war. People had a mindset where they wanted to be entertained and laugh. And and the movie that won the Academy Award that year was The Best Years of Our Life. And that was about soldiers coming back and adjusting to civilian life. And quite frankly, that's where the mindset of the people was at that time. So it's a wonderful life 
was not popular and it and it didn't there's some other reasons too it wasn't released until december the 20th which is too late for a christmas movie right it, it just was bizarre and um the studio had decided they were going to have this is the rko going to have sinbad the sailor be the christmas movie huh. but it wasn't ready so they had to come down and they asked Capra, they told him, he said, you got to get your movie ready right now. It's going to be the Christmas movie. Get it done and out. Well, he quickly edited it and got it, you know, in the process of all that, there's some really rough editing <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> if he really looked closely, yeah. there was some stuff that wasn't quite perfect, let's say. <laughs> it's beautifully shot, though. I, it, oh, I, yes. I love how it's shot, you know what I mean? Um, the full face on really the whole, takes up the whole screen and you know, that kind of yeah. that was new you know was, yeah. those were different techniques and capper he was wonderful with that i think he influenced sergio leone with that a little bit when he kind of did his westerns a little later um yeah it's um we're gonna say the the, the 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 fact that it failed with you know kind of at, at first you know you see you hear that with a lot of things like seinfeld and stuff like that like if they didn't stick it out it never seinfeld never would have really picked up um, but it's interesting, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of films that kind of did that deal. And yeah, well, to go back to the war thing, you know, and the, the, the kind of the grim, the grim nature of, you know, under the surface of It's a Wonderful Life, you know, you noticed a lot of that when you're in wartime, it mm-hmm. reflects the cinema, you know, oh, yeah. really mm-hmm. dark and stuff like that. And Jimmy Stewart is like, he, he mainly known for kind of like his comedic type stuff, but whenever he dipped into the dramatic, he was really incredible at it, you know what I mean? He really was. I had a problem with his Western movies, but yeah. <laughs> I could never really see him fit into that slot. But, yeah. you know, he, a lot of people loved him in, in Westerns, but I had a little problem with that. <laughs> he had that cadence, that draw, or what, I don't know what you would call that with his accent, or nobody else has it, but it's great, you know what I mean? Yes, I know. It was a one of a kind. It really was. Yeah, tragic. It, it kind of, It's a Wonderful Life has kind of like a, um, I feel like it always uh, hints of um, like a Christmas carol in it, kind of with the, with oh, the, it does. Oh, you know what I mean, definitely. of course, with the, with the screw, like almost. Scrooge yeah, Mr. Potter and, and the grumpy old thing, you know, well, yeah. yeah, I can see that very definitely. It's, it, it's one of those, I mean, it could play, you could take the holidays out of it, you know what I mean? It's just like an appreciate life type film. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty, I think the beauty of it, and then you wrap it up in the Christmas wrapping and it's even better, especially around that time of year, you know what I mean? Um, when people are trying to be thankful for what they have and such, you know. That's right, and and Jimmy Stewart, had a way of being close to people. He could be just another guy. Yeah. He wasn't a star. Right. You know, he was just another guy. And he had a way of kind of communicating with just normal people. And he was he was just a great guy. I mean, he, he told me a story once when he um, when he was in the Boy Scouts. He went to um, camp, and when he came home, he found out his dog was dead. The neighbor's dog had killed his dog, and he was so upset. He was so mad. He just couldn't face it. It was just too much for him, you know. So over a few days, he 
he would get up and a tree and he'd watch that dog, dog and he he was he just made up his mind he's going to kill that dog. Yeah. So he was thinking about how he'd do it and where he'd do it and everything. And his, his dad, I think was a great guy and he sort of saw that coming. So he told Jimmy to come down to his store and his store was right down the hill from their house, his hardware store. And so he, he came down, he called Jimmy to come down. He came down he said, come here, son. And he took him back into the back room and there was that dog tied up back there. Wow. And his dad handed him a gun and he said, okay, take care of it. You can do it right here, right now. And of course, he couldn't do it. Couldn't do it, yeah. And it was a great lesson for him. He he said that he really realized that, you know, he didn't have the right to take that dog's life. Even over revenge. That's a big lesson. Yeah. That's a big it wasn't lesson. that big a deal, you know. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story. Hell yeah. I think I think that adds to the whole thing with Jimmy Stewart where you know he does the later uh, films as as a cowboy and all that that you could always tell that he did have have that darkness kind of in him but he would never give into it. And I think that really was one of the great things by him as an actor was the fact that he could walk up to their line. You could feel him walk up to their line, but never cross that line. Mm. It's true. Yes. Mm -hmm. But he was raised in a different time too. You know, I mean, he had good parenting and uh, he was raised in a little town and he went to a a very, very popular um, college and university and he was going to be a, he had a degree in architecture that's what he wanted to do but he got involved in some extracurricular activities in the theater and yeah. and he fell in love with it and so he and henry fonda decided to try their luck in hollywood and his dad just about had a fit and died because he didn't want him to do that you know he was, thought that was stupid but and eventually he supported him and it went well. <laughs> That's the one thing about the film business that never changes is when you, the first day you say you want to start doing it, people go, nah, you can't do it. No, that. you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we all get that talk. We all get that talk. Right, Matt? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's out there. It lurks. Uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, the only, like, uh, James Stewart is very he he did he had that pure he had that that very pure element but he could go dark if you wanted to. The only actor I could equate him to nowadays I would probably be Tom Hanks. So Tom Hanks has that really nice guy vibe. Like you feel like he's a genuinely nice guy type dude. Yeah, James sure. Stewart always came up. James all oh, like a night like he like of course I never met him. Only one of us here ever met him. But um, it's a very nice guy. It seems like the, one of the nicest guys in the world. Well, um, let's see, 1990, uh, he won an award in New York. And um, I was invited to go. He invited me to go. So I went, and um, it was a party for him. And we talked um, at his hotel and, you know, 
it was a lot of fun. And it turned out that he had made it possible for one of his fans who had been corresponding with him from way before he was successful. And she had a giant scrapbook that had pictures. He would send her pictures of him and his family on vacation. I mean, he was just genuinely kind to her. And so he made it possible for her to come down from upper New York to to the city because she'd never been in New York City before. And I had lunch with her and we talked and we became very good friends. And she said that he, she knows he helped her in many ways because her husband had uh, fatal disease and she was going to lose her house. And so she called Jimmy and told him about it. And he, in three days, they wrote and said, no, this wouldn't happen, that they'd take care of it. So, because he was a vet, you know, so... There was, it was just, um, he was just a wonderful man. And this woman, she uh, eventually, uh, she got older a couple years later, and he had her come out. She went out to San Francisco to visit her daughter, and he made it possible for her to fly down to Los Angeles and visit him in his rose garden. I mean, she was the fan that had been there for his whole career. And so they met, that was in November and she had, she just wrote me and it was just so wonderful for her. And in January she died of breast cancer. So, I mean, he did wonderful things like that, that no one would ever know about because, you know, he wouldn't want the public to know those kinds of things were happening, but he was just a good, decent man. And he did things for his fellow man that no one ever knows about. Those are the best ones, you know. Yes, yeah. They're not looking for recognition. No, he was not into himself at all. He was down to earth. He just never lost his good old boy thing. Yeah, I love to hear that, you know, because he's one of the most iconic of his time or ever, really. And uh, I always love to hear when they appreciate fans because you see – Nowadays, you you see it less and less of people. And I don't know what it is if it's like, I think it might be a social media type thing because they can, you know, post up a picture of their lunch and get a million likes. So it does it. So when they meet somebody and they're like, oh, I really appreciate you. I don't think nothing against the, the celebrity, if you will. I just think it doesn't quite register the same way. You know what I mean? Because they're almost not at all. Yeah. And, and um, you know, their lives aren't exactly private anymore. And they had some sort of privacy back in the day. Social media has really changed a lot of things in our yeah. world, and that certainly is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm always fascinated by these iconic films and how they never, the, the people making it like, they never feel like they're making the masterpiece while they're making it. You know what I mean? And then it just becomes this this huge entity after well, who, who knows who would know who could predict you can't you know you don't know yeah i i would i mean like cap at that time capper was a big deal you know Stuart was a big deal you would feel that would have you know the oomph to do it you know what i mean and it's we it's it's very i love that time because it's just it is it's like a it's a it's almost like people were doing it. It was before, you know, fame and fortune really came into it. So they were making art because they love it 
and they have stories to tell. You know what I mean? Now it's, unfortunately, it's more like, well, I can't wait to make a billion dollars making movies. You know what I mean? It's all about money. Yeah. But back then, that's why those older movies have heart to them, because they're really trying to push a message and say something with them, not just get paid. You know what I mean? Well, back then, if there was a scandal of any kind and a newspaper reported it, they were shunned. That was you don't do that. And now, my gosh, they dig and create. And I mean, it's a whole different world. It's oh, it's a bread and I, I think it's so sad. They exploit people and. Think nothing of it. I, I just yeah, it's sad. terrible. They they want they want what they what they're, they're trying to take the celebrity away from the celebrity and put it on themselves for a little bit. I think being I like, guess oh, that's true. Yes, you know, you know I, mean, what I, I think mean? that's right. They're like, look at us, look at all the hits yeah. we're getting talking about these people. Yeah. It's tragic. I mean, I mean, sadly, I don't think that. I mean, I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. It's too much of a snowball effect. Oh, I think it's going to get worse. I agree with that. The more that we have uh, access to their private lives, which is, you know, I mean, it's a wonder they don't have cameras in their bathrooms. I mean, you know, somebody sneak it in. I, I just, you know, they have no life. They have no privacy. It's, it's kind of bad. Yeah. Well, that's the yeah, people always say. Give me the, give me the, the fortune over the fame any day of the week. You know, keep the fame. Just give me the fortune, you know what I mean? Because you do, you lose your, you lose your life. You know, you if you're that big, like I would hate to be one of these. Like, you know, certain one of them's feet, certain ones feed off it. I feel, but like people that just kind of get caught up in the zeitgeist and become huge because of their deal, and they can't go out, they can't leave their house because there's paparazzi in their face and stuff. It's really a crazy lifestyle, you know what I mean? Yep, it is. I mean, they they have to kind of stay inside and not, you know, be out there and in a normal life. They can't do it. I mean, you you go to Starbucks, my God, you got, you're in 10 different magazines or 10 different newspapers. I mean, you have no privacy whatsoever. Yeah. And that's just really too bad. It is. It is. It's, it's a weird vibe. It's definitely a weird vibe. You know what I mean? And, you know, you go through like, and then they, like you said, they'll, they'll try and, they like to build them up and tear them down. And then when they're torn down, you know what I mean? They're parading all their dirty business to everybody. It's yeah. kind of, it's almost like when they say people make a deal with the devil, it kind of is because it's like, I want to be, I want to be rich and famous. And then they get it and they're like, Oh no, yeah, can, you, you can't. The only way to escape it is escaping into a realm of like used to be rich and famous, which is even worse because you're still in the spotlight and now they're like, now they're just giving you hard times for no longer being that. You know what I mean? That's it's kind right. of a really ugly deal. <laughs> but let's talk about beautiful things. We're going to hop back into the career. You know what I mean? Well, you know, It's a Wonderful Life has promoted so many things in this world that are good. Yeah. And um, 20 years ago, we're celebrating the 20th year of the festival in Seneca Falls, New York. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life Festival. And it's fabulous. It's in Seneca Falls. It's it's so much like It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm pretty sure that Capper came through there and got a haircut. And he <laughs> saw the bridge and the town because the names of the streets are all, it's, it's all, you know, kind of the same thing. And so 
I celebrate that every year. And then in 2010, we started a museum. And it's a wonderful life museum in Seneca Falls. And it's the only museum in the United States that celebrates a black and white movie. Really? Uh huh. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Show respect. Is the ornament, I know you, you have the ornament, the actual ornament, I believe, from the film, right? Oh, maybe. Maybe. Did that, <laughs> the museum's not allowed to have that. No, a, no, no, no. I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. <laughs> Hell no. So what do they do at the festival? Like they, they show the movie and they, it's a whole like a weekend ordeal. Yes. It's a weekend. They have a run last year after COVID it was surprising. We have five, 1,600 runners that ran a five mile, 5k run across the bridge. That's where you start and then through the neighborhoods and people have stands set up out in their yards and it's kind of dark. It's just, getting dark and they have some refreshment shall we say (laughs) on their little stands as people are doing their run it's a lot of fun and then they have um the restaurants like they have potter's house or potter's restaurant potter's you know all different kinds of things the whole town turns into bedford falls in so many ways and then we have original cast members that come and do presentations and we have a lot of presentations about making them a film and their lives and things like that. It's, it's very interesting. And they do it towards Christmas time or more in the middle of the year? When oh, no, the, second week in December. Second week in December. Mm-hmm. Is there a website that, that people can check into that if they want to go to it? Oh, the real Bedford Falls.com. Yeah. I like it. And that's New York. And the museum is It's a Wonderful Life Museum.com. Very cool. What type of uh, items they got on there, like wardrobe and uh, Well, they like study that. each character mm-hmm. um, from Ruth Patton Moss, who played Ruth, you know, Ruth Bailey in the movie. And um, she, they have little items from their collections. And um, Jimmy Hawkins was um, the little kid who burped. Yeah. And he was quite successful back in the day. And he was a singer and played the guitar and he did tours in Vietnam and, you know, they've got his guitar and his uniform and all kinds of things. They, they have so many wonderful things that it's, uh, it's a lot of original stuff from Capra. Yeah. And it's, it's a great place to come and relive some of the messages of the film. Yeah. Now, you know, it's been spoofed and referenced and, all types of things throughout for, for just since it's been made. Do you have any favorite like references in a film or, or a TV show that you've seen or, or anything kind of relating to it, maybe spoofing on it? Like I happen to like um, married with children did. It's a wonderful life back in the nineties, which I really appreciated. Anything like that that you got into? You remember what was his name? Butthead and Beavis. Or oh, Beavis, Beavis and Butthead. Butthead. Yeah. yeah. Well, they have one where, um, be, they wish Beavis or Butthead, whichever one of them, would jump off the the bridge. They want him to. Yeah. <laughs> There's a spoof about almost in every TV show, yeah. you know, about it. Yeah. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead are coming back. Are they? I didn't know yeah. that. I heard they're coming back, yeah, for, on a streaming service. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, a wonderful. It's a wonderful life. I that was that was classic from back in the day. Alex, did you have any 
favorite references to it from? Um, none that I can really think. I mean, I've always enjoyed It's a Wonderful Life. I always liked the meaning and uh, and just delving with the fact that because I mean, I know a lot of people they have suffered with depression and all that, including myself, and. And you get to that point where you, you do ask that question. What would the world be with or without you? And that, that movie was really important to me and a lot of people walking through, through those issues. We all matter. Each one of us makes a difference. Alex, there's also, you remember Saturday Night Live? Yes. They did a spoof on it, and they beat Mr. Potter with a bat, remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a very positive film. Much love. I, I do, I do want to ask you, because you also was uh, in another Christmas movie that I, I don't think got enough uh, credit for when it came out, which was uh, the bishop's one. Mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. liked that one. I I don't know why it never you know never got to the point of you know a lot of other classics. But uh, I mean, I was a big Cary Grant fan, big David Niven fan, and uh, and I I just loved that movie. And you were great as as the daughter, and your scenes with with. Cary Grant is Dudley, I thought was some of the cutest and, and <laughs> most, most moving scenes. I, I, I just loved it. Well, that was Henry Coster. He was the director. Yeah. And, you know, when they first started making that film, when they started filming it, it was a different director. And he had the parts reversed. David Nevin was the angel and Cary Grant was the minister. Yeah. And so the studio head came down and checked things out and he didn't like the way it was going at all. So he fired the director and hired another guy. And that was Henry Coster. And he changed the characters around, made Cary Grant the angel. And so there was kind of some resentment between the three of those people while I was on the set. (laughs) Uh Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, there was. So um, anyway, they they did it, and it worked just really well. And Henry Coster would lay down on the floor and show us what he wanted us to do when we were sitting there on on the floor, and he was telling me the David Goliath story. He was just a wonderful director. And one of the things that I always remember is he married an old horror star. Her name was Peggy Moran. And she was beautiful, but she was in horror movies and uh, just a beautiful woman. And he had a bust made of her and he loved her very much. And that bust is in every single movie he ever made. And it's in The Bishop's Wife. Ah, nice. I got to check that out again. I know he he directed Harvey, which I'm a big fan of with Jimmy Stewart. Yes. Uh, Yeah, Coster did. He was a hands-on director, just like Capra. Really good. I dig that. I think that the, the, a lot of those directors they had they were more into it because there was they were really they had a story to tell. You know what I mean for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what was I going to say? The um, with Coster there, um, I, I had a mind blank for a second. I lost my mind for a second. Ooh. 
I had a question and I lost it. It'll come back to me. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I got to do Westerns too, you know. Oh, yeah. Rio Grande. They were actually my favorites. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's what I was going to ask for before we pop into the Western. Um, we're, we, we, we enjoy horror films over here. And we know that, you know, even like in the 80s, Nobody really respected horror, and it was kind of like the bastard child of the film business. What was it like back in that era with horror films? Because I know that you said you were kind of like, well, she was a horror actress. So what, yeah. what, what was kind of like the vibe back then? Well, that was like a secondary actress. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was secondary. You know, there was – because, yeah. you know, they're schlocky, those films. <laughs> right, right, right. And yeah. so, you know, that was kind of the reputation of those films. But then – you know, they started getting better, like, you know, the pod people, you know, all those yeah. things that they started having major stars and they started being a lot better. But there's just now there's just a regular cult, you know, for all those movies and things. So it I don't know. I I happen to um, get a partner that loves those old horror flicks. And so we've got to be friends with a lot of people like the. Creature from the Black Lagoon, Ben Chapman, stuff like that. He used to send us Christmas cards. And we got to know so many of those folks that they had fun making those movies. And it was great. (laughs) But they were schlocky. (laughs) Schlocky is fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. Now, you said that your favorite type of film to make is a Western. Is it because you really kind of get to go into a make-believe world? Not, you're not just kind of going into the character, but it's the whole world around you. Really. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've been chased by Indians on horses, riding in a covered wagon. I've been on stagecoaches where men get shot and killed. You know, I mean, it was the greatest time ever. It was so much fun. <laughs> I loved it. Were you ever afraid of the horses? A little. Yeah. 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 They can get wild. You know, they get a mind of their own. They do. I've had horses and, and I've fallen off a few times. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank goodness you weren't hurt. Nope. nope. Christopher Reeve, unfortunately, Superman oh. himself, man, falling off the horse. That's what got him. Yeah. You know, I, I always heard rumor that back in the day, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Uh, I always heard back in the day they were a little less than uh, kind to some of the animals, like horses, on set. You ever see anything like that or not so much? I never saw anything like that. But I know they weren't very safety conscious. Yeah. You know, they took a lot of risks with kids and stuff. Like, you know, when we're riding on the desert in a covered wagon, nobody ties us in or does anything. You know, you just bounce around. You can bounce out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of things that they, you know, they did. They, you know, there was one film I did called Albuquerque. Yes. With Randolph Scott and um, Gabby Hayes. And Gabby Hayes was the stagecoach driver in that film. And he wouldn't even do the writing on the stagecoach. Hmm. Nope. He had a stunt double that did yeah. it because he thought it was so dangerous. So he went to the. He went to the director and said, you know, you're taking a chance with that little kid's life because, you know, she could pop right out of that, that stagecoach. She's in yeah. the, I was sitting next to the driver and, and they, he thought I should be tied down or fastened in some way, but they wouldn't do it. So. 
<laughs> I had a blast. I just, it was so much fun. Yeah. Did you ever see any, like, injuries on set because of something like that? or No, I never no. did. If they were running and gunning, and they were lucky enough not to get too much, too injured, you know. Well, I got injured once. Yeah. And, and that was in the movie Real Grand. Yes. And it was when we were in, um, I was in the, the church when the, in, the Indians captured the kids, and I'm in the church, and, well, the... Um, I get up in the chapel and ring the bell, bells and angels all my, throughout my life. So I'm ringing this bell and the Calvary's coming in to save us and take us kids, get rescue us. And so Victor McLaughlin comes into the church and, and I'm ringing the bell and ring the bell. So he comes in, he says, come on, Margaret Mary. So he grabs me and puts me down, I sit down, and he pulls me across this wooden wooden thing, and I got a splinter in my bottom. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, bad, but, yeah. I, you know, I couldn't act like anything like that had happened, so I never showed it at all, but, boy, it hurt. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. Method, tell them it's method acting in the West. You're in the West. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> How, how do you have any uh, what re- recollection of what it was like to work with John Ford, maybe one of the best Western directors of all time? He's kind of scary. He's yeah, very, scary. very intimidating. Yeah. yeah, and he would get in fights with people like Marino Hera, and yeah, I mean everybody acted afraid of him. Even John Wayne respected mm. him a great deal. It was a di- different kind of atmosphere than working with other directors like Frank Capra that I've been with. Yeah. He was, you did what he said. Yeah. You hear those, some of those old school, there's the collaborative directors and there's like the do what I say directors. Yeah. And that was a do what I say. And, and, and um, I can remember one, one time um, Maria O'Hara disagreed with him Mm. and she didn't hold back ever. She let him have it and she, you know, fought with him. And so, I rode back in the limo with her to the hotel. Yeah. And so I was in the back seat, but she was in the front and she was just cursing and cussing and talking about Ford, you know, really, really bad. And uh, I was just riding along and I didn't think anything about it. And then her hairdresser said, uh, Miss O'Hara, there's a child in the car. So then, you know, my ears like, oh, boy, what did I miss? <laughs> and that didn't stop her at all. She yeah. kept right on cursing. She thought, you know, she was furious with Ford. <laughs> She's got to grieve. You got to let her let it out. That was now, fun. When he'd fight with, like, the, the, the male actors, would he ever get, like, would ever come to close blows? Because everybody would be very passionate, you would feel, you know? No, I never saw anybody like that, no. No. That's good. They're professional. I was I was in this this movie Albuquerque with um, Lon Chaney Jr. Yes, and, um, and I was fascinated because he was the Wolfman. Yeah. You know? Oh wow! And so I, you know, made friends with him. He was very very nice. Yeah. And he took time to be with me and everything. I, I mean, you wouldn't think that would happen, but he did. He was a very nice guy. And the reason I liked him, we started off from the very beginning, was because he said, you know, I think you're ugly. Ah! And I said, 
why do you think that? And he said, because you have freckles. And of course, I felt like freckles were the ugliest thing in the world. So I liked him right away because he told the truth. Yeah. (laughs) He was so nice. Lon Chaney. I noticed that I noticed that male the male actors get more horror horror actors get more respect than the female actresses. Oh, absolutely, horror. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah but they have to take their shirts off, you know. So yeah. they have to, <laughs> you know. That's true. That's true. I mean, that's the first thing that happens when there's something really scary comes. Well, they should take their shirts off. <laughs> they gotta get lighter in case they gotta run. They gotta get lighter. Yes, you know I mean that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Now you, you you were talking about John Wayne the Duke, you know, not yeah. being too confrontational, very kind of like a laid back guy. How was he uh, as a person? Well, he was um, a very nice guy. He was real tall, you know, and um, the the voice was commanding. Yeah, and he he was, uh, he didn't really have a lot to do with most of the people. He just kind of stayed with with John Ford, and they did their own thing. Hmm. But when we were doing Rio Grande, and we were in Moab, Utah, and the Korean conflict broke out while we were there. And the government commandeered a lot of airplanes. So it was kind of difficult for us to get supplies shipped in. But my birthday was the 4th of July. And I turned 10. And he managed to get some fireworks there and he had uh he got three hundred dollars worth of fireworks shipped there and he had a big cake made and we went out to the colorado river bluffs and then it was happy birthday little miss carolyn yeah it was great i'm happy to hear all these guys are cool Oh, they were. I, I There wasn't a bad one in the lot. I mean, I was told to stay away from certain actors, and I did. You know, I mean, that's that's the beginning of the movie. I mean, when you're doing a movie, they, they give you a heads up right in the beginning. Some people didn't like children or didn't want to be bothered with children. So. Right. You think it was so you know who you can mess around with and who you can't. You think it was like a method thing, like they got into character and didn't want to talk to people, or just they, they didn't, they didn't like, like kids? Yeah. They just they don't like, like it, yeah. Uh uh-uh. <laughs> like well, That's unfortunate. I wonder. But if I think know. women were especially um, threatened by children because uh, they're scene stealers. That's true. And back in that day, the women had a really hard time being the lead on the on the box office. Yeah. Against the man, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. So they really concentrated on what they were doing and they didn't want to have to be, you know, distracted in any way. Yeah. So you, you said John Wayne and, and, and John Ford worked well. They, they, they kept together and they worked well. Those two didn't really clash that much? or They clashed, but oh, not they did? much. I, 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 think, I think that John Wayne respected him. Yeah. And um, it was it was kind of a relationship like that. I yeah, I could see that. I think you know you if you respect somebody and you'll you'll almost ignore the difficulties of dealing with them if you think that the overall outcome is going to be like a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Heavyweight. Uh, I know John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart both very tall, very tall men. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like working with John Wayne was bulky as well. You know, yeah. he had muscle. Mm-hmm. Jimmy was a skeleton. Yeah. 
which made him even look taller. He was six feet four. That's true, yeah. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> the Duke. The Duke, man. The Duke. I'm it's... going to do a show um, in Memphis next week with his son, Patrick. Okay. And Claude Jarman Jr., who was in that movie. He was also in The Deerling as a child. And so I'm looking forward to doing that show next week. Autograph show. I dig that. I mean, yeah. Well, the autograph show, you know, we talk to a lot of folks that do the do the cons and stuff like that now. And it's like none of them, they always go, I never knew this film had such an audience. Did you got, Did you have that vibe or you on certain no. things? No. no, I knew. I knew. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, certain things you didn't know. Because I used to get fan mail. Yeah, of you course. Know, yeah. In the olden days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't do that anymore because you've got the computer and so forth. But I used to get handwritten letters about the movies. And I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good deal. It's um, how well, you, I, how love, you- I love doing chiller. That's my favorite, probably one of all. Chiller? Yeah. All those horror people. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, we, we, we go to conventions all the time. Well, it's been a little bit since the pandemic, but they're starting to start up again. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I'm going to be in Williamsburg, uh, November, which is a really good one, but it's a, they're nostalgic ones, which, you know, is more my forte. Yeah. But chiller is great because the people that love horror flicks, they yeah. like It's a Wonderful Life. Of course. Well, they're sad. They do. I don't know what the connection is, but we're all depressed. I guess they respect <laughs> that movie or something, but it's, it's just a part of Christmas, so everybody loves it, you know? I think that I think everybody that enjoys horror, there's a little bit of under, underdog in them. I think there's a lot of underdog elements that come with it, personality-wise, um, that why they like horror, because it's almost like getting revenge for wrongdoings without having to do it themselves. Um, so I think that that, and, the, and then it's, uh, you know, it's a hopeful, you know, it's a wonderful life is definitely a character. Like we said, uh, you know, kind of starts in a dark place yeah. in, you know, and I think that everybody, everybody kind of wants that at the end of the day is they want to end up, you know, on top and in, in the happy zone, you know? Yeah. I, mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, it gives you hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, for so sure. I, I think that's, you know, that's a great thing. And, and also, I think that um, horror fans enjoy good acting. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think that's another reason that they support the film. I think so, because, you know, it's, there's different, you know, the, the, you know, to go into the horror thing real quick, I mean, like, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's well executed. I mean, it, the acting's more there now. Back in the day, it was a little more, you know, it was just stuff like that. Um, but even some of them are really good. And, uh, but yeah, I think they can, you, you know, it's like with comedy, you know, people go, comedy looks easy when you see it on screen. You go, oh, okay, that was good. But actually getting the, the, the science and the vibe of it to actually make it funny when you see it multiple times is that's where the magic is. So, but you people don't really chime into that. But I think the th- same thing is with horror where like they can, when they're scared and you can kind of catch that whole terror vibe from them and worry and uh, <laughs> the acting's there, you know what I mean? It is. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, are they going to, do they going to be rebooting? It's a wonderful life anytime soon. Re, re what? They're going to do a reboot, like a big remake. I'm surprised oh, no. there hasn't oh, been no, a big no, remake. No, 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 no. 
no, no. You can never, ever replace that film. You can never, ever do that. I do believe that there's a possibility for a sequel. Is I Did I see something like that on IMDb, a possible sequel? Yeah. Okay. There's some thoughts about it. Fellow in um, Tennessee is working on it. But yeah. I don't know if it'll happen, but it's, you know, hey, it's after it's a wonderful life. It's the rest of the story. You said it. You said it fell in the public domain. Yeah. So yeah, but you also said that you think that because of it falling in the public domain was it was a positive thing for it. Yes. Because it got seen more. Oh, absolutely! That was a yeah. positive thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think now that- they Paramount had had it has a long history of people claiming the rights to it, and now. Um, Paramount. It's their movie. Oh, they got it now. Well, if I sued them and they had to go to court, I'm not sure they'd win. But <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I do a lot of promotions for Paramount, and it's a wonderful life. So I, I'm just thankful that they promote the film. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, a lot can be said on the negative side of distribution deal, distribution and stuff like that. But the fact that you know they do keep it, keep the films out there. You gotta kind of give them, give them a thumbs up for that, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get them back. So, did they just recently obtain the, the the rights to it? No. They've owned them for a little bit. Well, it's convoluted. In um, in the eighties. Yeah. Actually, it was in the nineties. Um, Republic Studios claimed they had the rights. Mm. Um, and Aaron Spelling supposedly bought the rights. Mm. It's all convoluted. There's nothing real about it. And right. even Frank Capper Jr., you know, I talked to him in the 90s, and I said, you know, who has it? And he said, we really don't know. He said, and at that time, there was a company called Lionsgate, they yeah. said they had it. And so, you know, it just kind of went from one thing to another, and eventually Paramount got it. And Paramount has done very well with it, and they've um, keep making improved DVDs, and, and they celebrate the film, and it, it's in a good place. For sure. Paramount's one of those big movie houses. You're definitely yeah. better off with them over, you know, we, I like Lionsgate films, but Paramount can definitely do a lot more for the film, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to put it back on TV more. I want to see some 24-hour marathons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I mean, when it went into public domain, that's, I think, where it got its big uh, bump was the 24-hour marathons because it was in public domain, so the uh, TV uh, stations didn't have to pay for the rights, and they wanted something Christmas related to, you know, uh, go in for that block. So, I mean, that that was the thing I think that really became and made "It's a Wonderful Life." You know, what the fact it, that it became public domain, and they played it in the early seventies over and over again. I mean, twenty four hours, twenty four hours, and that's how it got its exposure. And, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to have seen the families that watched it back then. And then their kids grew up 
and they started watching it with their children. And it's just come full circle that way where families raise kids, they watch it and then they have their kids watch it. And then the next batch does. So I'm old. I've seen a lot of generations. <laughs> Generation. It's a good thing though. It's a blessing, you know, but hey, iconic, you know what I mean? There's, there's, uh, there's not even a handful of iconic Christmas movies that'll kind of, you got this, you got a Christmas story. I guess you can go with a Christmas Carol. I think a Christmas Carol's a little, that's dwindling. And then more current, you probably got like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is a big one. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life is in it. There's a scene, exactly. nice little scene, yeah. Yeah, do you have any favorite outside of, of course, It's a Wonderful Life, any favorite uh, holiday movies, Christmas movies? I like National Lampoon. Yeah, I, I, I really love Christmas Vacation. I do. I just, I, I, I think it's the funniest movie. I love it. Yeah, it's classic. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're in the, you got some archive. Uh, you also, there's archive footage of you in Menace to Society, the gangster movie. So you have street credit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You can go, you can go in uh, uh, Compton, Southside Compton, and everything will be okay. You can wear whatever colors you want to wear. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, Caroline, this was a fantastic deal. You know what I mean? We really appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did too. Uh, we, we, we love hearing that. You know, we'd love to have you on again sometime. You know what I mean? You, sure. Now that you're a pal, you know what I mean? You're always <laughs> welcome back on. We do, uh, we do a holiday special. Maybe we'll get you on some Christmas special. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? You know what I mean? I'm the Christmas kid. That's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> well, can we can we hear the can we hear the every every time a bell rings, an angel oh, gets sure. a bell? Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Fantastic. And we're all getting our wings in a beautiful way today. Now we all got our wings. <laughs> Bells are ringing. You got it. <laughs> well, thank you again. We appreciate thank it. You. I'll talk to you soon. All right, folks. That was fantastical. You know what I mean? That was a great talk. Um, you know, I love taking a trip into the memory lane of Hollywoodland like this. Like I said in the beginning, we don't really get an opportunity to kind of go deep into this. And me and the Hawkman love cinema from the beginning of cinema to the end of cinema. And, you know, we get a lot of 80s and 90s and uh, upper folks on the show because we love that. Uh, but, heck, we love 70s and 60s and 50s and 40s and 20s. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did I forget the 30s? We we love the 30s. King Kong came to us in the 30s. A lot of good stuff came to us in the 30s. But yeah. um, that was great, man. Hawk, what did you, uh, you think of the interview? Well, I think the interview was great. Um I mean, for me, uh, the movies from the 30s to 40s uh, are a big uh, inspiration on me. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, those were the movies my parents would watch. Yeah. And I, I fell, in, uh, fell in love with the entire, entire wealth of, of film that came out uh, during those times. And... Uh, it's funny because I'd be talking to like people nowadays, and they tell me, "Oh, you you do movies, you like movies." I'm a big fan too, 
yeah. like, oh yeah, what's your favorite movie? They're like, oh yeah, Transformers. And I'm like, I have you seen anything from the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s? And they're like, why would I watch anything from there? Those are like old movies. I mean, I watched the current new stuff. The current new stuff is, is, is the best of cinema. And I'm like, dude, no. If, if, if you're going to, you know, love or really get into something, you've got to, got to go into the history. And I mean, for Matt and I, we're, we're independent filmmakers, which also means we don't have a lot of money to work on. And watching these, <laughs> watching these older films is is so good because it shows us what we can do with a story without the big CGI effects, without you know the big um, you know explosions. And there's there's so much stories, so much well, like hard touching stories that were you know done back then that a lot of people have either forgotten about. Oh, don't even know about because yeah. like oh they're black and white you know they don't have any kind of connection to how I'm dealing with today and then then you have to sit down with like a movie like it's a wonderful life mm-hmm. it's still strong today I mean I can talk to kids that are like oh yeah I know it's a wonderful life I watch it every Christmas and it has touched so many people. And and what it deals with with the whole thing of, of depression and suicide that is still so relevant today, mm. and that's why it's a wonderful life is probably one, I think one of the uh, most powerful uh, films that uh, people from older yesteryears that people still watch today, and there's a lot of other films that. Uh, we'll talk about like the Bishop's Wife, which is another Christmas movie, which unfortunately did not get as much notoriety as It's a Wonderful Life, and she's uh, also in that, and it's also a very touching and 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 good story mm-hmm. that I think should also be you know looked at and look at it as a possible Christmas movie to watch and feel about about you know the whole. Know what it means to be a person and 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 to love and to try to succeed in life. Yeah. And um, plus, also, I'm a huge Cary Grant fan. So if Cary Grant's in it, you know, I'm I'm picking up that DVD. <laughs> For sure. And you get dance all the way home with it. Uh, like a like real man would. Guys. <laughs> with Fred Astaire, I'm, Bing Crosby. I'm the 2022 Fred Astaire kid. Get out of my face. But, yeah, that was a great episode. She was so sweet. I'm in love. She was so sweet. Can't wait to have her back on the show. And, uh, hell yeah, uh, very appreciative to get some of them Hollywood history, some Golden Age history up in here. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Um, do you want to say anything in closing before we wrap up the show, my friend? Um, other than uh, it was a pleasure having her on the show. It was great talking to her. And it was great hearing about, you know, her experiences with, you know, uh, actors that I grew up watching. I knew that, you know, they were, uh, they had passed along long before I was born. And it was good to hear some of these stories and, and get a little insight into these 
actors that I've always appreciated, but never got a chance to know more about. I agree. I mean, we often talk about our fa- some of our favorite parts of the episode, the shows, or hearing all these inside stories about folks and what it was like. And, you know, like I said, man, some Capra, some the Duke, you know what I mean? John Ford stories, you know, you always knew John Ford. He ruled with an iron fist type deal. You know what I mean? He was from that era where it was do what I tell you to do. You know what I mean? Um, Less collaborative. Alexander Hawk would not perform well with a director like that, I don't think. He likes his collaborative. He likes to be able to collaborate. Well, I mean, it's, I, I prefer the collab. I mean, I think that uh, films come out better if everyone works together and uh, there's a give and take. you got to give your actors a little bit of a leeway. I mean, being the director, you definitely have a vision that you want to see, and I definitely support that. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta have a little bit of flexibility. Sometimes the actors can surprise you with something that you didn't think of that helps make the the story even that much better. That's true. That is true. That's so, what I'm telling Matt. That's what he keeps telling me at least. But what can you do? So, with that being said, we uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, get out there. Check out the website. Go to that festival. I'm looking at that. That's New York. Maybe the Boom Bastacast will make an appearance at that festival. Second week of December. Uh, hell yeah. You know what I mean? Caroline will be in appearance. Other people from the show, uh, from the movie rather. If you dig the movie, you know, go do it, man. Live life. Life's almost over. Pandemic's over. You're not getting any younger. Go do things you want to do. You know what I mean? That's just the way it is. We, we wish everybody long lives and uh, live long and prosper. We'll catch you all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace. Every time a bell, bell rings, rings, a hawk gets, gets his wings. wings.